show them that gun owners were just regular people, right, who definitely do not support or condone any of this crazy violence that's being committed with AR-15s or any other firearm. And this is, this is a battle for the hearts and minds of Americans in our country. And as much as, you know, a lot of us know the facts and figures and the facts and figures are important. However, this is also a hearts and minds campaign. Talking about pooing and congrats on <laughs> absolute gold, you know? Yeah. That's the stuff that people want. <laughs> I mean, as we all get older, you know, just, you know, our bodies change, just like things start going out of whack. And, you know, when you, when you have a good number two, it's, it's a reason to celebrate. It is our, like a, like a complete yeah. evacuation is, is, is something <laughs> to be stri is striven for. Yeah, Absolutely. There's a, um, <laughs> oh man, I feel like I just have a weird perspective on all this based on my job that norm isn't normal to share in, in conversation. I've had people just, I'm a firefighter for What's normal, man? like for reference, I, like walked in on people just completely covered in their own shit before having the worst day of their lives. And <laughs> oh, I, oh, oh, sorry. Not your colleagues. You're talking about. Oh no. <laughs> 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 yeah, firefighters are wild bunch. You can't using each other at the fire station. Oh my god! Walking into work. I never do that about firefighters. Yeah, we just shit ourselves constantly. We we live in our in our firefighter gear. We never actually take it off. Yeah. Oh my god, that's. <laughs> Imagine what that would do to the culture. Just humbling people left and right. <laughs> The culture. Yeah. No, you have to shit yourself. This is your first one on the job? All right, cool. We all have to yeah. watch. Yeah. It's like yeah. a desktop. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everybody does it. Yeah. yeah. Does You've it. never done a desktop? You've never shit yourself at work? All the companies <laughs> shit themselves at work. Well, I'm glad we're off to a great start. Yeah. Um, we, uh, yeah, we can get this... Since you have an hour, I want to be courteous of your time, man. Yeah, and, uh, let's do it. We can get this going. All righty. You want to start or you want me to start? I'll start. You started the last one. And yeah. uh, I'm trying to get better at this. This is, Chris, I have this unreasonable anxiety about introductions for the show. It's so weird. It's only me. It's only us three. And I have to yeah. build it up every single time. And it, I've never gotten better at it. And, it's and just he always apologizes before he does it. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry. This is gonna be such bullshit. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is gonna be horrible. I wonder what kind yeah, of. Yeah, this is like, this is like, yeah, you got like stage fright, and you can't like come on stage and you know apologize to the <laughs> before you give like the talking. This is like a Shakespearean actor. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for this <laughs> performance that you're about to hear. This is gonna be so shitty. <laughs> <laughs> You paid good money. I'm wasting your time, but here we go. That's awesome. All right. With that, 
Welcome, everybody, to the A Better Way to a Podcast. I am your host, Jordan, with host Andrew, and today we have the honor of having Chris Chang on, the two thousand, the season four champion of Top Shot. Chris, thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's, it's, it's going to be a spectacular chat. I can, I, can, I can feel and sense it in my bones. I think so. Oh. <laughs> I think oh, so. <laughs> so... I, I don't know I don't know exactly like what what you like to talk about uh, you know in, in interviews like right this moment um, I know Top Shot was a long time ago but I was a huge fan of that show and I was a huge fan of yours at the time so I was wondering if you uh, if you minded starting off with some trash talk about Top Shot <laughs> sure I, yeah and and uh, I, I'm an open book I mean really you know whatever you think is interesting for your listeners and you know for, for Top Shot was just this iconic television show right a shooting competition for 18 marksmen and women across all walks of life in our country and you know we were all competing for a hundred thousand dollars and in my season it was the ante was upped and it was also a pro marksmanship contract with Bass Pro Shops and, yeah, like a whole career. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, I was working at Google at the time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a tech guy who, you know, shot for fun, you know, self-taught amateur. And watching the first three seasons of Top Shot on TV, you know, like many of us who watch our favorite TV shows, you sometimes fantasize about being on your favorite game show. And you're like, yeah. Oh. I could hit that target. Ah, oh, look at that schmuck. He, you know, totally like pulled that shot. Da 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 da. And you know, I don't know why I thought that I could stand a chance against these professionals because you know, uh, yeah, I was I was competing in some local, you know, uh, USPSA and IDPA tournaments uh, here in Northern California, but I wasn't winning any titles. I mean, I wasn't even coming close. And all my friends were like, Chris, like, you know, why do you think you stand a chance? at going up against right, some of the best shooters in the country. And I told everybody, I said, look, you know, you know three gun, USPSA, IDPA, right? These are like very specific disciplines, right? And they're the kind of disciplines where you can train for them pretty, I don't wanna say easily, but there's like a structure, right? Around how you can train, right? For certain types of shooting disciplines, or right, if you're doing a, uh, home defense, CCW, right? These are like very established paradigms for trainers and for students. But Top Shot, what was cool about Top Shot is you, you have to be like a Swiss Army knife, right? You, you've, gotta, you've gotta have so many cross-functional skills and add in the, in the unpredictability of it all, right? The, the whole crux of Top Shot was every episode, every challenge, was a different weapon and a different game. So, you know, what was funny is, you know, a lot of the law enforcement and military folks and the Olympic shooters, you know, they, they were at a disadvantage because they were specifically trained in certain weapons platforms, right? So we had SIG guys who were complaining about Glock triggers, right? When they threw a Glock in our hand on the show. <laughs> oh, oh, no. You know, That's oh, a move. Glock. The Glock trigger sucks, and oh, you know, if only I had my Sig two two six, right? I would have like crushed that <laughs> challenge. Like guys, like that's the game, bud. That this is the game, right? And like I didn't. So as a self taught amateur, I, I didn't have any of these hang ups, and you know, for me also, it was very much in not just like an athletic 
because you know there's, there's some athleticism required right on top shot but probably the most important thing you know you would think that the more, most important thing on a show like top shot would be marksmanship but i think as in with many competitions it is really about mental toughness and about tenacity and having a never give up attitude because in every competition, right, it almost doesn't matter what sport we're talking about, there's going to be times when you as an individual or your team falls behind, right? You are in a losing position. And there are these pivotal moments in competitions where you either see competitors double down, like you can just, you just, you see and you feel the force and the energy of them trying to push through their failures to try and overcome them and, and succeed. But then you see other competitors the body language, they just like they're giving up, right? The the energy just leaves them. You can just uh, use a fan and a supporter. It's like, whoa, like my, you know, the, you just see them crumble. And on Top Shot, that was one thing that I don't know if that came across right over, over TV as much as it probably should have, right? Just to sort of see how certain competitors, right? We just, you just, you just, you just always have to be pushing through to the very, very end. And other competitors, they just, the pressure got to them and, and they crumbled. So, but that's, wow. that's competition, right? I mean, that's why um, I love Top Shot. I love competition. I think that's also a, is a big contributor to why I won because I, I don't quit. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to, it's like, if you're going to throw me into a competition, I'm here to win and I'm going to train as much as I can, right. To put my, and I had a long way to go, right. To fill a skills gap, right. I'm not military. I'm not law enforcement. You know, I live here in California where we had, you know, we have, you know, all these assault weapons restrictions and magazine capacity restrictions and, I didn't have access, right, to a lot of the weapons that my competitors had, you know, when, during their, their training, you know, before they, they actually went on the show. And, and so for me, I just really leaned into the fundamentals of marksmanship and then also my athletic background and, and just really it's, it's, it's a mental game is, is what, I'm, what I'm really trying to emphasize is that you have to visualize yourself succeeding. And that was a very key part of how I believe I won Top Shot is because every challenge, I was visualizing myself going through the motions of, right, shooting, you know, loading the gun, mounting the gun, aiming the gun, shooting, hitting targets, also missing targets. I was visualizing myself missing targets and then going through my, my sort of my mental checklist of how do I clear malfunctions? How do I push through missing a target and make sure that I hit the target right the next time? Because anybody who's ever competed, you can sometimes get into this like death loop, right? You miss a shot and you're trying to do a fast follow-up and you just keep on missing and missing and missing. You keep on doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And so for me, the visualization exercise is okay. Like I need, when I see a mistake, I need to identify it's a mistake and then I need to physically correct, right? Whether it's my body, the way I'm holding the firearm, the way I'm, you know, side picture, side, whatever the things are. But, uh, I go through these constant, 
mental visual exercises of seeing both my successes and failures. And again, this is a hypothetical, right? Like this is yeah. like the this is like my pre-game uh, routine, right? Before you even like stepped onto the course or onto the field, I'm like I'm like I, it's like I already played this out of my head, right? And and of course every scenario ends with me winning (laughs) (laughs) in my head. Positive mental attitude. That's, that's awesome, man. Do you think that that gave you, do you think any bit of that, uh, mindfulness was as a result of the fact that you weren't set up as a specialized, um, shooter, you know, you weren't, you didn't have that military background, that police background, and it wasn't necessarily ingrained in you to think or to shoot a certain way. Do you think that because you kind of had to be a Swiss army knife, that kind of pushed you to be mindful of your shooting like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I also feel like I really understood the top shot game. Like, let's remember a competition's a game, right? So you have to understand like, what is the game? And the game is you have to adapt to unpredictable weapons and and challenges and you just have to have an open mind and the second right you start closing your mind off and saying oh i've never shot this gun before and oh you know i don't like iron sights if i had a red dot you know on this rifle i would cry you know there's just if i only had magical pixie dust i could hit this target yeah yeah and (laughs) I, i just can't tell you how many times i heard my competitors talk like this right if only, right, the weapon was this, this way or that way. And, oh, if the, the targets were bigger or closer, it's like, well, <laughs> of, course, of course we're all going to do better, right? Or, you know, the sun, the sun was, like, you know, glaring in my eye. And, you know, oh, I shot in the morning and I was at a disadvantage because of the sun, right? All these, all these different, I mean, they're just, they're just excuses, right, at, at, at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and nobody cares, right? Nobody cares about these like nuances. Um, so yeah, you know, it's um, for me though, t- Top Shot was this incredible moment in both my personal and professional career where on a personal level, you know, I, I went through junior high and high school and college. Uh, I loved it, you know, and it's like, it's like I had all these like great, you know, I was involved in a lot of student activities, a lot of sports and I'm a musician and, you know, kind of like just like, I constantly had all these amazing experiences, you know, on the performance stage, you know, on, on, on the athletic field. But then, you know, when I got into the workplace, I think like what happens with a lot of us, right, you, you start working a nine to five and, you know, yes, like I love my career at Google, like it was really fun, but you know, business competition obviously depends on your role and like what you're doing. Um, but like, Achieving business results for me, like, just wasn't as, like, satisfying from a competition perspective, right? And also, like, I worked at Google from 07 to 2012, and, like, Google was, like, king of the hill, and, like, we we're just, like, crushing everybody. So, there, you know, there just wasn't any, like, oh, yeah. real competition, right, in the, in the search engine world. Um, and so Top Shot, though, you know, I was, uh, I was 31 at the time competing, and... I just remember feeling, wow, it's been, it had been almost like, it had almost been like, I don't know, it felt like like eight or nine years since I'd felt like that alive, like that alive, right? Wow. The, the adrenaline, the pressure, the, just, just the, the, the high stakes 
and and what we were competing for and who I was competing against. Like I just I loved it. I loved it so much. And and so winning Top Shot not only just sort of uh, it just it just really pressed my buttons in a great way, right? Just say like, okay, this yeah. is what it feels like to be alive, right? I'm not sitting, you know, on the couch watching Netflix. I'm not like, you know, just tapping away on my phone or my laptop. Like I'm actually like going out and putting myself against people who I know are better than me in many regards. And I am pushing myself and challenging myself to be the very best shooter that I can be. And I, yeah, so I just, I just loved it. So on a personal level, like that was amazing. On a professional level, you know, after I won Top Shot in 2012, I quit Google and, you know, without knowing anybody in the firearms industry, and I wasn't really a gun guy, so I didn't really even consider myself like part of the gun community. It's like, yeah, you know, as part of my local gun club, of course, yeah, I shot some local matches, but like, oh, those are more just like recreational for me, right? This is so wild. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, it's just so wild hearing you say, like, I wasn't even a gun guy. Like, I went to the range. And, like, these dudes who literally made shooting a living. That was, like, their like, whole personality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, but, you know, but, all right, I went from not being a gun guy to being a gun guy. And then, you know, the, 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 the most, the largest change came with Second Amendment advocacy. And that happened very shortly after I won Top Shot. You know, the first six months after winning, you know, Bass Pro Shops, they were an amazing sponsor for me. They sponsored me for four years and they're flying me all across the country. I was competing in three gun matches and just, you know, meeting some really incredible people in the industry, uh, like Ronnie Barrett, you know, from, from, from Barrett and, uh, wow. you know, NRA folks and just, you know, other, other just great people on the three gun circuit. But you know, Sandy Hook happened, you know, six months after I won Top Shot. And, you know, that was obviously a very dark moment for our country. And it was, it, and, you know, I guess it's always so interesting for me to think about how, as people, we all go through the same moments in history, yet we come out the other side oftentimes very different, right? So for me, Sandy Hook turned me into a Second Amendment advocate, where clearly, right, Sandy Hook turned a lot of people into gun control advocates, yeah. right? All yeah, the gun right. control, you know, let's ban AR-15s and ban this and that and restrict this and that. And, right, I mean, this is, like, so fascinating, right, that, like, I, I think I look back at that moment and I remember saying to myself, after when Sandy Hook happened, I just remember in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God. They're going to be coming after our AR-15s, my AR-15s, your AR-15s, and, and every one of us who are law-abiding and responsible gun owners, they're going to be coming for, I mean, right then the generic phrase is they're coming for our guns. Yeah. Right? And, you know, you hear these gun control advocates often say, oh, nobody ever says they're here you know, for coming for your guns. Like... Wow, like, what are you guys smoking? Yeah, where are I mean, you listening? Yeah, it's like, we got quotes from Feinstein, from Bloomberg, from, you know, Dick, Senator Dick Durbin. I mean, it's like, the list goes on and on and on. And, and I remember saying to myself, okay, you know, this is, this is a, 
this is a big moment for just me on a personal level, right? Where I, I remember asking myself, what am I going to do, right? What am I, just, just me as an individual, what am I going to do about what I knew was coming, right? Gun control advocates, anti-gun politicians, they're going to start really turning the screws, right? And trying to re resurrect the federal assault weapons ban and, you know, uh, and, 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 I just said to myself, okay, well, if I don't get involved in the Second Amendment advocacy side of things, right, we're, we're, we're just going to increase our chances of losing. And the reason why I'm telling this story is like, it's not about like me, it's, it's about us, right? It's about, I want everybody to ask themselves this question. If, you know, if you believe in the Second Amendment, I want you to ask yourself, what can I do as an individual to help protect and defend our civil rights and that question the answer to that question right is obviously going to vary depending on on who you are but i implore you to do something right whether it's right contact your elected officials donate to your favorite second amendment organization educate your friends family and co-workers right about firearms take them to the range show them that gun owners were just regular people right who definitely yeah. do not support or condone any of this crazy violence that's being committed with AR-15s or any other firearm. And this is, this is a battle for the hearts and minds of Americans in our country. And as much as, you know, a lot of us know the facts and figures and the facts and figures are important. However, this is also a hearts and minds campaign right Absolutely. And, and and the way that we win hearts and minds is we have to personalize this right when I mean, we can't be we can't be like screaming past each other right we, we we have to be respectful and mindful of people's opinions about firearms like where they've come from with respect to like guns let me give you an example for 18 months during the pandemic i was part of a cross-functional uh, working group. It was like a talking group um, with both gun industry, gun rights advocates, but also gun control advocates. And there were also medical professionals and faith-based um, uh, individuals in this group as well. And, you know, one of the faith-based individuals, you know, she, she and I, we had a little, a little sidebar over Zoom. And, you know, I just want to like understand more about like where, like why she was so anti-gun. And she told me this story, you know, when she, she grew up in, in, in the New England area and when she was like nine years old and her sister was like seven, they were having breakfast at the table some morning and their, her father was just an a-hole. He was a drunk, he was uh, an abusive, you know, husband. And there was some argument that he was having with, with, with his wife, right, who was, you know, this pastor's mom. And the father got so upset that he put a loaded firearm on the breakfast table, pointed at her mom, and he said, if any of you upset me any further, things are going to get ugly. He said something to that effect. Wow. That, that he was literally, you know, threatening violence. And so, you know, hearing her story, I'm like, of course, of course you're going to be anti-gun. And then she told me, she's like, Chris, I've, I, she's like, I've not had any positive experiences, like, 
around firearms or talking about guns. So, you know, again, like we have to meet people where they are, right? Like I can't talk to someone like this pastor and then just lean into like why AR-15s shouldn't be banned, you know, it's like, statistics. She, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Cause she's just coming from a very, um, a, a very different place. And so I, that, that's what I mean by, well, cause it's not, not statistics being, that convinced her, you know, it's, it was a very serious personal experience. Yeah. Right. And, and right, I would say, right, if we want to get a little tactical for a second, right, it's like, well, okay, right, for this particular individual, right, she's a pastor uh, who, who had this very traumatic negative experience with firearms as a child, right, how do we, how do we counter, you know, bad, bad memories like that? And I'd say, well, one time, and I'm not a psychologist, but sort of most simply put, we have to supplement negative experiences with positive ones, right? Yeah, for sure. And and maybe that means for her just literally talking to a gun owner, right? Yeah. That, that, that literally is like, that's like one very low barrier, like low threshold, right? Um, let me give you another example. Something that just happened to me about a month or two ago, which for me is still just kind of crazy, um, but it just highlights again, like how, how impactful it can be to meet people where they are. So two months ago, um, uh, so I was recently on, on CNN and um, there were some gun control advocates, you know, quoted in the, in the CNN article and the reporter was nice enough. She's like, hey, like, are you at all interested in like talking to the other side? And, you know, I, uh, she's like, the reporter's like, I have this like fantasy that maybe you as a gun rights person and this other gun control person can like talk and like maybe figure out a middle ground. I'm like, hey, look, I'm willing to talk to anybody about guns or, or civil rights wherever, whenever, right? One-on-one -on -one and the podcast, you know, wherever, wherever, whenever, right? You, you should just tell me when and where I'll be there, right? And so um, this, this, this individual, she's an Asian American mother out of Connecticut. Jordan, I know you're out of Connecticut, which is why I'm sort of using that sort of emphasis. But yep. um, she was telling me, right, that she had never, ever spoken to a gun owner before. And she is on the forefront of gun control advocacy, right? And she's That's never wild. spoken to a gun owner before. And, and, at the start of our Zoom call, she said, Chris, the only reason I'm like talking to you right now is because you're also Asian. And that gave me a level of comfort that like this conversation might be okay. Yeah. Now, I don't think like that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not like, oh, you're not Asian, I can't trust you, or you are Asian, <laughs> I can trust you. Like, I don't know, like, my mind just doesn't, like, think like that. But, but again, the point is, like, that's her experience. And, like, I can't judge that, right? Like, I just, I, and I don't want to, right? I, I, I don't want to because I made a connection, right? That's, that, for me, was just, like, the most important part of, um, of the whole experience is, she was willing to talk to me, and honestly, I don't care whatever the reason is, right? It's like, if it's because I'm Asian, great. Also found out she has a gay son, right? And I'm gay, and, 
And she's like, okay. And she's like, she's like, her son's uh, graduating from high school, right? He's going to college, and she's scared for him and, and wondering like, how is he gonna protect himself in a world of increasing hate against LGBT people, increased hate against Asian Americans also? Mm-hmm. You know, part of what I was trying to tell him, like, look, like this is the point of the Second Amendment for me. Right? Like I'm in the, I'm literally in the same boat, right? It's like I'm a gay Asian American who there are people in this country who want to kill and harm me just because of either one or both of those facts. And the Second Amendment gives me this right to use a firearm to protect myself. And so, you know, again, I didn't like lean into that, but I I definitely wanted her to understand like, right, where, where I was coming from, right? This wasn't just about me listening to her, right? It was about both of us listening to each other. And you know, look, like, I don't know, I'm like, not necessarily looking to change anybody's mind. Now, of course, if that happens, amazing, right? I mean, like, who that's doesn't a love changing, That's a plus. You know, no, no, I love yeah. changing people's minds. Yeah, like, we all love, like, changing people's minds on, on some level. But look, like, but, like, that's such a high bar. Yeah. It's it's just such a high bar. And, like, look, if if any of us ever do have our minds changed, it's eh, sometimes, sure, it's, it's because of some sort of acute event, right, that... Right. is extreme or intense yeah it's but very it's very rarely an argument exactly all right rarely does an argument right change someone's mind it's yeah uh, at least for me in my experience like look like it's it's it you're, my mind changes when somebody talks to me and engages with me in a respectful manner presents me with both the facts, but also the emotion. Like, look, like, yeah, like facts are, again, right? Facts and figures and being objective is important, but we can't forget about the human component of, of all of this. So um, anyway, this is, yeah, for, for, for me, it's just been um, a really, I guess like, you know, I, I guess I, I think back to, do you remember the book, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul? <laughs> I used to love that book. Right? I never right. read it, but I'm familiar. Yeah, right. Chicken Soup for the Souls is like these uh, micro stories, right? Of of basically feel good moments, right? For individuals, and I guess I've always thought about my life as you know, how can I like fill my own like book? Like, how can I like make my own Chicken Soup for the Soul book? Right? Yeah. Like, what are all these like stories gonna look like and sound like um and and you know so for me having these hard conversations like that that that's what feels good to me and i guess like here's why too is it it gives me hope that we will find our way right to the other side of this right and what's important to me is no matter how this all ends with respect to Second Amendment rights, the end result cannot be where one side is declaring massive victory and like we're pointing in, you know, the gun control people's faces and we're saying, oh, look, we told you so, we won, ha, 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 or vice versa. It has to be that we all, we, well, not all, but like, you know, as a country that we stayed united right? And that we have at least a majority of people that would say, look, like we, we respect the rule of law, we, we respect civil rights, 
Um, and part of this comes from my sportsmanship background. It's like, look, I played baseball and, 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 and golf uh, as a kid. And it's like, look, at, at the end of a baseball game, teams line up on each side of the field, right? And you, 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 and you shake everybody's hand, win, lose, or draw. Like that is just, and that's part of my upbringing and my childhood and a part of who I am that, yeah, look, like, I'm going to crush you and I am going to win, but if I don't, I'm still going to respect you, right? And I'm still going to be a little mad that I lost, right? <laughs> but I will respect you. There will be another game, right? And I'll have another chance. And so that's sort of how I look at um, a little bit like the politics and sort of the, these, these policy battles that we have on the, uh, on the gun control and, and, and gun rights side of things. Hey there, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you do like what we're about and want to support us, our Patreon is a fantastic way to do so. It allows us to improve the podcast in many ways and helps fund our alcoholic coffee beverage stash to assist on those late night recording sessions. Now you may be thinking, this podcast has me absolutely smitten and I would love nothing more than to throw money at you, but what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you become a patron, you automatically get access to an exclusive collection of clips from the podcast not heard anywhere else. On top of that, we have a wide range of tiers available that will get you merch, discount codes, and even free gear delivered to you monthly. For any patrons currently listening to this, we are super thankful for your support and for keeping the dream alive that one day I will be able to meet Andrew and make sweet, sweet podcast magic with him in person. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash abetterway2a in the episode notes for the podcast or on the link in our Instagram bio. All right, now that's all for that. Back to the show. I have to agree with you that I think, you know, you, you catch more. What is it? What's the phrase? You catch more bees with honey. Catch, you catch more flies yeah. with honey than shit. Yeah. Is that actually the phrase? That's the way I hear it. I don't, uh, I don't know if that's the whole thing. <laughs> that's the original one. And, and hey, I drank too much water, so I'm going to run to the bathroom. Really Go quick. for it. All right. Man. Go for it. How's your little one, Andrew? Uh, Little. Very little. He's got, his, his tummy's a little upset. I I think he's got food sensitivities, just like oh. um, did. And when I say food sensitivities, I mean like um, you know breastfeeding. And so uh, things she, she eats yeah. ends up in the in the breast milk, and so you know it, it's just causing his tummy a little bit of upset. Are you? Uh, why is he? Is he gassy or is he throwing up a lot or? A little bit of A, a little bit he's of B. Ga- oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's gas. He's not throwing up. A- it's not as bad as with And there were a lot of problems. You know, we were using the wrong kind of bottles with hmm. You know, in the beginning, we were, like, overfeeding him. But, you know, with, with sorry, with, with number two, it's impossible to overfeed this kid because he's constantly fucking hungry. We can we can edit out your kid's name. I know, I know. I'm sorry. You know. I goof. I goof a little bit. I goof. Number two. Number two. Number two. <laughs> the deuce. <laughs> back on on number two. Yeah, sorry. I'm talking about kid number two. Let's <laughs> well, just recircling just... back to the joke about you know n- child number two and also taking a number two. <laughs> For the record, I haven't done number one. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want anybody imagining me taking a shit in the middle of a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be like, hold on, let me grab my laptop. I just yeah, you can bring going. it with you, man. That's just just put yourself on mute, you know, as a courtesy. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know, with it with a group on uh, on like Zoom or whatever. Or I don't know. I remember what we were using, but he had um, 
he was using the microphone on his headset, but the speakers on his laptop. And he's like, "All right, I gotta go to the bathroom." And he kept no. his wireless headset with him. No. <laughs> it was the loudest piss I've ever heard in my fucking life. No. <laughs> Drowned out the rest of us trying to talk in the chat room. Brutal, brutal. So, Chris, I uh, just because we could, I could definitely talk more about this, um, but I'm, 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 I'm horrible at staying on track perfect example of me talking about how i'm horrible at staying on track stay on track jordan um <laughs> so you saying that you know finding common ground with people and empathizing with them and and the fact that this lady felt that because you both were asian she could have this conversation with you uh was important i you know as a straight white guy i've got an, a huge advantage i've everyone wants to talk to me right if it works <laughs> that way but <laughs> um unfortunately no it doesn't work that way for me but um otherwise we wouldn't we wouldn't have to have to have these conversations but there is a i've always said to people that you know you don't win arguments by correcting people you know calling it a magazine instead of a clip and screaming at people about what ar stands for and and i think a huge problem that we have is kind of dehumanizing the argument we've we look at people on the other side and we see an angry person and we just want to get angry instead of figuring out why they're angry and like, or like assuming said, people's motives too right yeah that's like, a huge problem like and like assuming assuming that somebody who's anti-gun just wants you to be like they don't want you to be defenseless. safe they don't want you to protect yourself and they hate you and want you defenseless and the, the vice versa is you know like we just gotten into an argument with some guy who won at the outset was like i'm literally not going to change my mind and two was like you know, oh, you know, you're pro gun. That means that you are pro people dying from guns. Yeah, a lot of bad faith uh, arguments from yeah. uh, from people. But yeah, and, and you know, this reminds me of, you know, I come from a customer service background, right? And and anybody who ever has worked in customer or you know technical support, right? It's like you just got angry people. Right, contacting oh, yeah. and calling it and yelling at you and screaming at you and they're mad about this or that, which is understandable. Right? We've all, we, most of us, right, we've been that angry customer, right, on, on the other end. And so, right, with customer support, it is all about staying calm and also trying to identify what is this person's interest and what is the actual problem, right? Because the actual problem may be something deeper, right, than what the superficial um, issue may present. For example, right? It's like, you know, someone might have called into me a Google and be like, Hey, like, you know, my, my Gmail's not working. You're like, okay, well, your Gmail's not working. But then the real problem may have been, Hey, like I need to send this like really important email in the next hour because my boss is expecting, you know, such and such and such stuff. Right. So it's okay. Now I understand like what the, what the actual like problem, like maybe not the technical problem, but like what, what the human problem is. And yeah. so, right, Andrew, you brought up a, a good point about, you know, some people, some gun control folks may think that, oh, you know, we just want to protect ourselves. But like, but no, like they, I don't think they, they really, they don't think that they, they I think, or it always usually just comes down to the gun control person is concerned about themselves, right? Which is yeah. normal, right? It's like they want to be safe, right? They want to 
be free of being exposed to firearms and right and then of course those of us who own guns right we are perceived as part of the threat right which is tapping into i think the dumb dinosaur you know part of our brain right it's like oh you know <laughs> person with gun equals danger it's like well no not always right not always um and 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 i guess like i think also about my educational background um, you have know, a master's in conflict resolution and, and international wow. negotiations, right? So like for me, when I look at conflict, it is always about trying to identify what is the person's need or needs and what are, what are the facts surrounding that party, right? So not, 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 not my facts, right? But what is, the, what is the party that I'm negotiating with? Like, what do they believe, right? What do they believe is true, right? And yeah. if you start there, right, you, ha you just literally have to put some yourself in someone else's shoes and be like, what do I think a gun or no, right? What do I know a gun control advocate's set of facts to be true? What do they believe in? And again, this is kind of back to like meeting people where they are instead of, right, us just trying to like, come at them with all of our amazing knowledge about ballistics and, you know, <laughs> AR-15. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, oh, you can make a magazine with a 3D printer, you know, it's, no, no, it's like, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a very different approach though, right? Of, um, uh, 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 I, I just look at this as, this is a very complicated negotiation, right? Like, I mean, like, like many policy debates, it's multi-party, it's, it's, it's multifaceted, right? It's, it is about the preservation of human life. It is about our civil rights. There is a racial discrimination component here, right? Where gun control has historically, since the inception of the second amendment been, the gun control has been racist, right? In the context of the second amendment and has restricted the rights of black Americans and of Asian Americans. And, and that trend continues to this day. And, you know, we have to understand what, whatever we do here, right, is obviously just going to have a lot of intended consequences as well as unintended consequences. And in the context of civil liberties and freedom, you know, it, 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 it becomes really dangerous when we start restricting rights. Yeah, it, for it, sure. It, it, right? it becomes very hard to expand rights. It's, it's always much easier yeah. I think, to restrict rights. And so if we're going to restrict rights, I mean, you know, the, and I just mean, if our country is going to decide that gun control is the way to go, like, you know, I mean, obviously I don't, I don't believe that, you know, gun control is the way to go, but um, you know, that's where for each of us who believe in our second amendment rights, that we have to do the hard work, right? We cannot outsource this to other people, quote unquote, right? Like each of us as individuals has to contribute to this. You cannot stay quiet. You can't be the silent family member at Thanksgiving dinner or on Easter Sunday who you, you know, you don't talk about your guns because, Oh, yeah. you know, you're, you're afraid of, you know, roiling the waters. Like I get it. I get it. But if you closet yourself as a gun owner, you're not doing yourself and you're not doing anybody else any favors by 
not believing in in yourself and and in the Second Amendment and and in just you know in 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 just in the simple concept of if you're a gun owner and you're responsible with it, you shouldn't be blamed for crimes that you're not committing. Right. And if I you think- believe, right, and if you believe that, then you 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 need to speak out. Right. And, and literally yeah. like, yeah. defend yourself and defend the rest of us and start a podcast about it. Yeah. <laughs> great idea. It's a great idea. Well, Andrew. And, and I think also, you know, so, so we're talking about like, it, I think it's really interesting your perspective on this, uh, given your, your education and your background, you're talking about this as like a negotiation between the, the pro gun rights and the anti gun rights people. But I think it's also helpful to understand that if it is a negotiation, if we are looking for a compromise uh, with people who want gun control, um, people need to understand that the pro-gun side is already starting from a point of pretty serious compromise. If the positions are absolute gun freedom and absolute gun control, we are already pretty well on our way um, to gun control and regulation. Mm-hmm. And we've had some victories, but like you said, it is very hard to expand rights is much easier to chip away at them. And that, and that's, I feel like a lot of what's been done over the last like hundred years ha- has been that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and it's a great point. Yeah. And I, I just, I feel like sometimes anti-gunners don't have that perspective. Not, not that they're like lying or they're trying to misrepresent the situation. They just don't have the perspective of coming from a pro gun background. And so they don't, fully understand that you know what they're asking for they've already gotten a lot of it right yeah and you know what one other thing um that that kind of just came to mind about right this negotiation paradigm you know if you have multiple governments or let's let's take this in like a corporate world right if you have like two companies right negotiating over something you know Often the best outcome is that both sides or all sides, right, are happy with the negotiation, even if there is, right, uh, well, whether there is compromise or not, right? Sometimes there isn't compromise, right? But your, your best case situation sometimes is, right, everybody, everybody, well, there's some different trains of thought, right, where some people say a successful negotiation is when uh, everybody is happy or not happy, but like satisfied, but then there, of course, is another train of thought where, well, a successful negotiation is where everyone's just a little dissatisfied, right? Yeah, just right. Interesting. At least a little dissatisfied, then that means right, that there was some sort of, of, of give and take. But the point is that everybody leaves the negotiation uh, feeling good about it, respecting right the, the, the perspectives of, of the opposing parties. And, you know, when, it, when I think about, you know, gun rights... You know, and, and with legislation and progress in general, usually change is incremental, right? And it's like the pendulum swings in one direction or the other, right? I mean, this this is just right, pretty consistent throughout much of you know history in general. Um, and you know, right, we're in this great moment, right, with, with with Second Amendment rights, with the Supreme Court decision, with the Bruin case last year. I mean, it is. Uh, just been momentous and it is this new litmus test right for gun control bills to go up against right do they pass the Bruin test and um, we're we're seeing right this tremendous 
liberation of, of gun rights and gun freedoms you know, in our country that we've never seen right in, in, in recent memory. Uh, I live here in San Francisco. I'm applying for my CCW and like never thought that I'd actually be like making progress, right? Yeah. In that application, but it's happening. It's, it's pretty incredible. That's exciting. Yeah, that's, that's exciting that it's a possibility now. Yeah, and it's really encouraging. That uh, we hope for some updates on that if that if that yeah, actually yeah, does absolutely. move forward to a point of conclusion. Yeah. Well, because I know and, California and, is not the like the hardest state on gun. I know everybody makes jokes about you know California or whatever, but California is not like the hardest place on gun owners uh, as a state. But there well, are um, we do have the highest number of gun control just like bills that have yeah passed. for sure. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, clearly California, you know, uh, Illinois, Jersey, I mean, the, New York, you're right. These are some of the, the, the strictest states, right, with respect to, to, uh, to gun control. And, you know, if, if I think about why, as a Californian, should my constitutional rights be any different than someone in a more free state, right, like Texas or Florida, and this is, I mean, this is the, the, this is the next like, fight for all of us right here in California is to restore our rights to a more equitable level, right? That the Second Amendment should be accessible, that there, it should be applied equally, right, across our country, right? And the fact that, well, you know, I have to apply for a CCW permit in California, yet, right, there's all these constitutional carry states, right? And I think it's now a majority, like 26 out of 50 states are now constitutional carry states. So, like, yeah. it's a huge inequity, right? I mean... And, and you would think that, you know, uh, absent the idea of, like, you know, Democrats being, establishment Democrats being against gun rights... You would think that these ideals of like, you know, egalitarian uh, expression of rights and equal access uh, to rights, you would think that that would ring true for, for people, on, you know, on the West Coast. You would think that that would be like, you know, something that, that kind of gels with, with progressives and establishment Democrats. But there's this like blind spot when it comes to guns, right, where they're like, mm -hmm. no, I don't care if it's like racist or, or, or in, in, inappropriately applied by cops who, by the way, I want to defund. Um, you know, it's like, it's like, it's on the, on the one hand, they're like, you know, we need police reform. And on the other hand, they're like, no, a cop should be able to look at your face and tell you whether or not you can carry a gun to protect yourself. Yeah. And, and this is where <laughs> I, 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 this is another, I think a great example, Andrew, of like trying to meet people where they are. Right? And so, right. For, for gun control advocates who usually are also diversity, right. And inclusion advocates, you know, I like to challenge them around my diversity and inclusion work in the Second Amendment space, right? So for me, I'm a diversity advocate no matter where I am, right? Whether it's, it's the gun space, whether it's Silicon Valley and trying to encourage right, more people of color, right? To go apply for tech jobs or right, come and learn how to shoot a gun. And so I put to gun control advocates the question of, well, why is diversity in the gun space bad, right? I've got the Violence Policy Center who put out this, you know, report about a year or so or whatever 
um, trying to you know rake me across the coals for advocating for uh, Second Amendment, uh, you know, it, Second Amendment appreciation amongst the Asian American community, right? And the reason why I phrase it like this, right? So what I'm not advocating for is for more Asians to own guns. Like that's that's a sort of the nice to have. What I what I what I want is for Asian Americans to understand what the Second Amendment is about, to respect it, and also I do think everybody. Asians included should be asking themselves whether shooting a gun, learning how to shoot, or owning a gun makes sense for you. And the answer is not universally yes for everybody, right? Gun, guns are not for everybody. Right? There's lots of people um, you know, who, who shouldn't own guns. And let's get very Absolutely. specific here, right? Besides, you know, the felons and the, the mentally adjudicated folks, if you aren't willing to train with your firearm and safely store it and safely operate it, then you should not own a gun. And I had one friend a while ago who he was debating getting a, a shotgun, you know, for his girlfriend. You know, they were living apart at the time. And uh, he's like, you know, when, when I'm not with her, I'm, I'm afraid for her safety. And, you know, she was living um, in a condo, um, ground floor, uh, actually it was a part, ground floor apartment. And she had like a creeper, like stalker guy, like one night, like peering into her window above her bed. And after that incident, he's like, hey, you know, I want to, you know, consider, you know, buying her a gun so she can protect herself when I'm not there with her. And I said, hey, well, okay, like this is a great conversation. Now, do you think she's willing to go take a course, right? And on how to use the shotgun. He wanted to get her a 12 gauge shotgun. I'm like, well, she's a small framed individual, maybe 12 gauge, maybe 20, whatever. But the point was, he said, no, she she's not interested in training. And he literally said to me, he goes, I have this vision in my head where if something bad happens to her, like if a bad guy breaks into her house, that she can grab the shotgun, go into a corner in her bedroom and hug the shotgun and she'll feel safe. And right, I, I, that's, that's not how this works. I've never heard that before. That's a different one. Yeah. And I, but again, right, this is like, that's how he was thinking about this. And I tell, I told him like, look, you you can't know, right? Like this is this is just a recipe for disaster. Right? You can't yeah. just buy a gun, it's not, not a talisman, train, and and somehow think it's some magical like safety blanket or like armor that's going to protect you from a bad guy. I mean, there's lots of other ways you can defend yourself, right? Bat, pepper spray, you know, yeah, like, preferably like, something at a distance. Yeah, hockey stick. I mean, whatever. I mean, like, go on and on about other options. But 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 all of those require the the will and the technical skill to employ them. And you run into the same problem with pepper spray that you run into with a gun if you just Mm -hmm. don't know how to use it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, You got to release the safety. You got to point it in the right direction. (laughs) Hopefully, you get that one right. That's yeah. You know, and this this, there's a really common refrain that we hear from anti-gun people when we talk about. You know, everyone should be able to get a gun for self-defense and you shouldn't like gatekeep that right behind expensive training courses. Um, I agree with you that absolutely people should be willing to go and practice with their firearm and learn how they they work. Um, 
but there's some people that are like, you know, oh, training should be mandatory because, and they'll say, you know, if if you have a gun and you don't know how to use it, it'll be turned against you. And yeah. that is statistically mostly a myth, but, you know, you can certainly envision it happening in a situation like you're describing where, you know, she's not willing to to, to practice it. Um, this person you're talking to knows that she's not going to employ it in self-defense. So, so even just like having it around, like what's the point? Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm obviously a huge proponent of, of training. Uh, but, you know, it also doesn't require money all the time, right? You can literally like, find a friend or a family member, right? Someone like, look, if any of my friends ever came to me and said, hey, right, like I want to own a firearm, but I don't have enough money, right, to like go pay for training, like, you know, I'll go train you, right? I'll, I'll go give you, right, like, a f- you know, a few hours of just free training, right? I mean, that's, that's I think, what we all do, right, for our friends, family, and coworkers. Um, and, you know, for, for me also, I mean, something relevant to this conversation is for Top Shot, you know, I, I self-taught and self-trained for Top Shot. And YouTube and blogs and discussion forums, I mean, right, they're just a wonderful training resources, right, they're free, Right. And part of what I wanted to do to give back right to the community was I worked with the NSSF, which is the National Shooting Sports Foundation. It's, it's a firearms industry trade group. And we filmed uh, 25 videos and it's all firearms 101. Right. So if you know That's zero cool. about guns and you're interested in learning how to shoot, uh, you go to the NSSF's YouTube channel. Uh, the link is nssf.it slash Chris, And you'll see all my videos and they're free over, I think, 40 million people. You might know, have viewed them over, over the years. And you know, so, but, but again, Andrew, you really hit the nail on the head. Like people have to have the will and the drive and the desire to learn, right? And to be safe, like not just be safe with the firearm so they don't hurt themselves or other people. But if there ever is a bad moment right, that comes, that they're going to be able to use that weapon effectively. So, you know, this is where we have to be supportive of new shooters, right? And also just understand, again, back to meeting them where they are. And, you know, again, like sometimes, yeah, like a firearm is not the right choice, right, for individuals. But... If we can be helpful, right, in helping them think through, like, hey, does this make sense for you? And at the end of the day, also have them appreciate why people like us do own guns, right? Maybe they decide guns are not for them, but they respect our right, right, to do so. And they don't think that we're the bad guy. Like, that's still a win, right? That, that, that's still Absolutely. a win in my book. So, um, yeah, exactly. yeah, hopefully that's some, you know, good, good food for thought is everyone... Uh, engages in one of, I think, the most, uh, not just contentious, but um, impactful and consequential debates of our lifetime, right? What, what is, what does the Second Amendment mean for America today? And ultimately, look, the big picture here is how do we keep our country safe? And our country is really sick right now, right? And it's, it, it, it's not because of gun own. It's not because of responsible gun owners, right? There's just obviously other things. We are almost out of time, so we have you know time to go into <laughs> and drill down into 
the mental sickness, right, that is driving yeah. some individuals to go do some really terrible things with firearms. And I, I think I just like to leave with a parting thought that if we want to make a difference and reduce violent crime, this all comes down to us taking care of each other, right? And win, lose, or draw, or whether you, you know, agree or disagree with gun rights, we have to take care of each other because I feel that a lot of the violence that comes from individuals in our country are because they aren't being taken care of. Right? They're being ostracized, they're being shunned, they're being bullied, they're being just literally pushed to the margins by their communities. And these acts of violence are everything from retribution to, you know, just them getting back, right, at, at yeah. all the people that they hate. And so, you know, this, is, this, this whole problem for me, it's not about the guns. It's about the people. And I'm going to say it again. The violence is not about the guns. It's about the people. So I hope to encourage people to, to be kind and to be nice to as many people as you can. And yeah. if we can kind of just focus on that, we can we can get to the other side of this uh, in one piece and, and make our country <laughs> we can. strong again. Yeah. Yeah, for one, sure, man. One piece would be nice. Indeed. Indeed. Awesome, man. Well... Uh, we're literally at 59 minutes exactly. Um, I have one question for you, and if you feel like it's too loaded, then we can just end now, and I'll pause it, and then we can go straight to the uh, straight to the outro. Um, but I actually didn't watch. Um, I didn't watch Top Shot when it came out in 2012. Uh, because I was just I was barely into guns. I was I was a fud at that time. I ha owned a gun but didn't do anything with it. And um I learned about you when you came out and were on the cover of Recoil magazine. Were you surprised by people's reaction to that good and bad? And is the, that uh, the cover with the with the you know <laughs> with the pride flag <laughs> with the you know Did something you know happened to your words just now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no yeah the pride flag cover because uh, we're talking about trying to get more people into the fold and appealing to to people who typically aren't and i for one am, am like crazy excited for the amount of people in the lgbtq community who have become new gun owners recently and to me i thought it was a huge positive but there was also a ton of backlash yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, for for listeners who aren't familiar with um, my Recoil magazine cover, um, you know, I'm on the cover with um, it was like an AR-10 variant, and I'm wearing a, a black T-shirt with a distressed American flag in LGBT colors, and you know, it was it was meant to send a signal, right? That one, you know, gun ownership is for Asian Americans, for LGBT Americans. And, and, and everyone, right, who is, uh, you know, again, wants to own one, willing to train, right? It's a civil right that, that is not discriminated. It shouldn't, and, and it has discriminated, right, in the past. But the Second Amendment is for everyone, right? Just like all our civil rights are, are for everyone. The distressed American flag part, right, again, is, is my commentary on, hey, like, you know, our country is really sick, right? There, there's literally talk it's really scary talk about civil war right and yeah. 
you know, the, the, the fractures that we're just seeing constantly of the, the distrust in our government institutions and trust me, like I don't, I don't trust government, but there's one thing about like not trusting government and like wanting to like see government like burn and like, <laughs> like physically destroy right. like, our, our buildings, our government, you know, institutions. But anyway, um, the reaction to the cover, um, it, it did surprise me with the, I think with just the heavy um, negative emotional commentary that that i saw particularly on instagram right? if you just go to recoils instagram yeah. like oh, you yeah. still see like a lot That's... of the the commentary and um it was really a turning point for me because I, I i guess at that point i didn't realize i mean i knew how polarizing lgbt rights and conversations you know have been in our country but i didn't realize just how polarizing it it had been in like and obviously you look at what's happening with the trans community, yeah. which is also fascinating because like back to the, well, you know, we have folks like Tucker Carlson on Fox News Channel who, you know, he's been like, you know, pretty friendly to, to Second Amendment folks. But, oh, when trans people, right, you know, arm yeah. themselves and like they're getting firearms like, oh, wait, wait, wait. now the trans people Let's are dangerous. It's like, wait, you can't, you can't, you can't have, you can't have it both ways here, right? It's like, you know, it, just, just playing to the identity politics of, you know, right? oh, trans people are dangerous with guns. It's the same thing saying, oh, black people with guns are dangerous. Like, those are not true, right? Those are just, those are so bigoted and discriminatory perspectives. Um, but this is where the conversation is, right? where we are right now, but the recoil magazine cover, right? Commentary, you know, for me and for recoil, like we viewed this as art. And, you know, if you think about a magazine cover as a piece of art, what are, what makes art successful, right? If you just ask yourself that top level question, what makes art successful? It is when it provokes emotions and or discussions and sometimes controversy, right? Art, good art has got to have at least some of those components in there. And, you know, I, I don't love controversy, but I also don't shy away from it, right? There, for me, like, I don't want to just be embroiled in controversy all the time, right? But there is a time and a place where right? we all have to put our foot down and draw a line in the sand and say, this is what I believe in. And whether you want to sling arrows at me and say whatever about me, like, okay, whatever, right? It's just, it's, it's, it is what it is, but it's also the internet, right? All the it's like, yeah, well, whatever, right? We all, we all know the internet, but yeah. I think the last thing I want to say on the cover is out of the thousands of comments, right, that were left on, on Recoil's Instagram post, about half of them are negative. Maybe you could even get a little more generous. Oh, maybe like 60% were negative. I mean, I'm just sort of, you know, eyeballing it. But the overwhelming positive part of that post overshadowed the negativity. And the, the positive part is the number of likes that they got. Yeah. They had like 14,000 likes, I think, which was like way above and yeah. beyond like a normal recoil, you know, um, uh, post on their page. So it's like, there's this silent majority 
Well, my takeaway from the recoil magazine cover was right. There was a silent majority of people who supported my message and recoil's message, right? That the second amendment is for everyone. And there was this loud, vocal, negative, toxic minority, right? Of people who are just right slinging all the toxic comments, whatever. And of course, I think naturally people, we tend to uh, zero in on negativity, but for me, yeah, I see it. I see the negativity, but there was also this tremendous positive outcome and recoil for their part. You know, we live in this era of cancel culture where you have companies and organizations where the second they, they get some negative inbound, um, you know, from their customers that they, oh, you know, they, they start pulling back Right. They pull back on the messaging. They, you know, yeah. delete posts. They like, you know, they do damage control and, you know, recoil. They, they, they didn't do damage control. In fact, they doubled down. Right. And they posted a follow up statement saying, hey, you know, the, the, the stuff that was being said about me and about, um, you know, other gun owners who support this notion. Right. That the Second Amendment is for all was really off-putting, right? And it definitely doesn't make our community yeah. look good, right? When we're just literally, you know, quote, eating one of our own. And I was very, I was just, you know, very proud of Recoil, right? For for standing their ground and saying, look, like, you know, this is, this is, if we're going to win the fight for our Second Amendment rights, we have to attract and recruit as many new types of gun owners as possible. And historically, there hasn't been a lot of outreach to LGBT and Asian Americans, right, in the gun community space. So, um, you know, all in all, yeah, the Recoil Magazine experience was a great one for me. Um, I hear from you know, a lot of uh, Asian Americans and, and LGBT Americans that, you know, they saw you know, me on the cover of a prominent, you know, gun magazine. And, and that, that changes people's hearts and minds yeah i agree yeah it has to awesome man well listen it was an honor to have you on here we were looking forward to this for, i i sent you andrew's uh screenshot of his message when you agreed to come on what no, <laughs> no you can't do that yeah i did i was like oh he's a little Shit. excited <laughs> Um, oh no, he knows I like it. And, and yeah, it's been uh, wonderful, you know, being being on on the show. And yeah, thanks for thanks again for having me. Yeah, awesome. And um, I know that you needed to keep it to an hour. We have a little tradition at the end of the show for the outro. But if you need to jet, um, you know, we, we can. That's that's okay. Um, how, how long is this tradition gonna? Take? It's like it's like a minute. It's like a minute. <laughs> that's fine. We we just like to ask. You know, we, we like to sort of like. Um, broaden our horizons at the end a little bit and, and ask the, uh, the guest if you have any sort of like, you know, life pro tips or quality of life advice, uh, or just, just something that you, you think that people have been sleeping on that they need to know, um, that does not have anything to do with guns or, or anything necessarily that we talked about. Mm. That is a great question. Um, it is an intentionally vague question. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I love it. The one perspective that I'd like to share is, you know, no matter what you're going through in life, whether it's, you know, a work project or a, a, a tough moment or a great moment, um, 
to think about all of your skills and experiences and, and to bring that fully and completely to whatever it is that you're doing. Because I feel like for me, you know, when I was competing in Top Shot, I brought so much of my baseball background, my, my, my golf training, my musicianship background, and, and, and a lot of the biomechanics around how to manipulate objects like a bat, a ball, a club, and, and a lot of the physicality of those activities translated very, very clearly in my mind to firearms. And, you know, for those of us who practice mindfulness and meditation, you know, for, for me, bringing that skill set to marksmanship helps me focus, especially in competition, right? In competition, you can so easily get distracted by your literally the rapid beating of your heart, like pumping through your eyeballs, you know, and you have to, you have to stay focused. Um, and so for me, like mindfulness and meditation and like just being aware of what's happening with your body, what's happening in your physical environment. Um, these are, these are just skills that I take from other parts of, uh, of my life and, um, and help me succeed and also enjoy life. Um, and so, yeah, just think about all the skills and experiences that you've had and how they could maybe be helpful or be applied in, again, these work situations or personal situations or comp comp competition situations. And uh, that might, that might help give you that edge to win um, you know, not just at work, but in life and, and love and all the other great things. I love it. Hell yeah, man. Awesome, man. That's all right. Shit. We promise we'll let you go now. Yeah. Thank you so you much, Chris, for, for hanging in there and, and being a good sport. And you're a fantastic guest and we cannot thank you enough for coming on. Thanks again for having me. And Andrew, I'm really thankful that the final thing wasn't you asking me to shit myself and <laughs> <laughs> prove it to you or something. I don't think I've ever asked anybody to do that for me. But but now, but now, <laughs> but now it's always gonna be on my mind. About it. Yeah. And like, see who I wanna, can I want to see how regular you are. This is going to be the A Better Way to a podcast shirt. We had Chris Chang on episode 28, and we asked him to shit himself. <laughs> <laughs> Click here to, to find out what he said and what he did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Exclusive man. audio of Chris Chang. <laughs> uh, that'd be one for the soundboard. Oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, guys. It was a pleasure. Dude, thank <laughs> you yeah, so yeah, much. This was great. For the laughs for the, for the <laughs> that as well, and um, yeah. Uh, I'm I guess sorry I that we're children. When, let me let me know when the uh, when the podcast is live. Absolutely, will man. Send it out to my followers. Fantastic. Have a great rest of your day, man. <laughs>